Hello, I am Crystal Grafton Combs, and you're listening to Coffee Talk with Crystal. If this is your first time joining us, welcome. If you have joined us before, welcome back. This podcast is a personal project designed to connect with the women of Alpha Omicron Pi and our greater community of sisters and friends. Sometimes I will answer questions from our sisters, and others I will invite friends to do the same. So thank you for listening, and now let's get to my next conversation. Hello, Barbara Crockett. How are you? I am very well, Crystal. Thank you for having me. I am delighted to have you. Um, This could not be a more appropriate or pertinent conversation, and we will get to all of those things. But first, I want to share with our listeners and our sisters and friends a little bit about who you are and why you are having this conversation with me in this particular moment. So first, let me do share that you are an AOPI. You are also the mom of an AOPI who is currently an active member in college. And in addition to that, the many accolades that you have professionally and personally, from an AOPI standpoint, you are also the recipient of an Alumni Woman of Leadership Award. which is pretty special, if I do say so myself. But in addition to all of those things, you are also an initiated member of AOPI who is a woman of color. And I think that there is a lot that we need to talk about, but your AOPI story speaks to that from the very beginning. So, if you would, please share it with us. Oh, thank you. So I went to University of Illinois, and when I made the decision to go through recruitment, I really was just interested in, like everyone else, University of Illinois had the largest Greek system in the country at that time. So it was 26 sororities and 52 fraternities. And uh, most of the people I knew were uh, in an organized Greek organization. And so I said, well, I think I would like to try it too. And I, you know, went through recruitment and AOPI was right at the top of my list. Um, and thankfully they, uh, they liked me also. And, you know, I joined, uh, it wasn't really a political statement. It's just the group of people I liked where I felt most at home and most comfortable with, and certainly, um, have had a lot of bonding. And uh, I, I didn't really think about the significance of me joining AOPI until one day I'm wearing letters and all of a sudden I have people staring at me like, <laughs> was she, does she have on AOPI letters? And um, so it was nice because it was able to start the dialogue and the conversation at the University of Illinois campus. And AOPI was actually recognized by the community newspaper for being one of the few organizations um, that had uh, women of color uh, in their um, membership. And so um, that's when I kind of realized that without, 
you know, trying to make a statement that apparently I did. Well, <laughs> but like, let me ask you a question, and I'm, I'm not intending to age you or me in this conversation, yes. <laughs> but give people a frame of reference on, on the decade in which this took place. So yeah, I, uh, so that would have been 1985 okay. uh, that I received my bid from uh, AOPI. Um, you know, the thing is so interesting is that both my parents are graduates from the University of Illinois also. And uh, my mom was a member of Alpha Kappa Alpha. My father was a member of Kappa Alpha Psi fraternity. And so, you know, I when I broke the mold, I decided to step way out uh, <laughs> and and uh, they were concerned at first. They're like, "Oh, we, you know, we don't want you to get hurt." And I, and I, you know, I laughed. I said, "I got more gifts for initiation than I did for Christmas." So, you know, <laughs> this was. I was like, "I like this," <laughs> you know. Um, and so it was just wonderful friendships. They're still my dear friends um, today. And you know, I talked to uh, my well, we said pledged daughter and pledged mom at sure. the time, but. Um, I speak to them regularly, and it really has been lifelong uh, friendships. And when I got involved in the alumni chapter as um, the alumni president for Phoenix, and when I went to LI, and it just sort of opened my eyes to how big AOPI really is. And I think I was a little short-sighted by that as a collegian. And then, but when I went to LI, and and I saw so many amazing women. And it just really um, lit a spark in me to really stay involved and um, and to serve in the various capacities that I have. And it's just it's 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 been a privilege to me. Um, I think that it opens some doors from other people. I've had other people since say, you know, because you you uh, joined, um, they felt more comfortable going through recruitment as a woman of color and so that that was nice to hear and so you know it was just about friendships and um values you know that that drew me to AOPI. So I want to ask you a little bit about that because to your point you had not necessarily intended to be a trailblazer or to make a political statement you you went where your heart led you which is wonderful since it took you to AOPI mm -hmm. but but did you when you realized that did you find that there was an awareness and that you then had that responsibility well i i did feel some responsibility um just as a personal background my father was president of the NAACP for the state of Illinois in 1966. And so um, a lot of the civil rights icons and um, stories of, you know, Jackie Robinson integrating baseball, and my dad actually played for the Kansas City Monarchs before Jackie Robinson. So oh, wow. a lot of these names that are very famous were, you know, my dad would, you know, casually mention at the dinner table, you know, uh, <laughs> You know, I feel like 20 years later, I'm finding out, wait, you, you were, you know, you had dinner with him, you know, <laughs> back in, back in the sixties. And, you know, he just didn't really talk about it so much. So I feel like some of it was instilled in me and, you know, my uh, parents, once I decided that the decision that I made to join AOPI, um, they were very supportive in that you have an opportunity to educate 
and my mom's a teacher, uh, dad's a doctor, so I really didn't have a choice. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think not. it was just well, I had a choice, I guess, but it was very much instilled in me to teach and educate and lead. And so um wasn't intentional, but you know, that's what happens. But I, you know, I, I could probably say that about every career move I've had, um, similar, uh, being able to be in similar positions, um, hopefully to be a bridger. Um, and, you know, a lot of it is just not knowing. And to the extent that we're willing to have conversations and dialogue um, about everything is what's going to propel all of us as sisters, as members of the United States of America to, and Canada to move forward um, in our dialogue. So let me ask you about that because you now, so let's talk about your daughter for a moment. She will okay. probably be mortified if she listens yeah. to this. So my apologies in advance, but you do have a daughter who is also an AOPI, I can only imagine what that must have felt like when she was deciding to go Greek. And now that she is there, have you all, and I don't even know if compared the same stories and experiences is the right word, but have you found that you have passed this along to her, that she is doing this even for her sisters and peers and friends now? Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting because we were pretty sure she was going to attend Arizona State and there wasn't an AOPI chapter at the time we were sort of strategizing and, you know, we had a four-year high school plan on how to get the most money out of ASU. Um, so the fact that ASU chartered just before her senior year in high school was pretty exciting. And then it was, you know, I don't know if I want to, I don't know if I'm going to go through recruitment. I said, well... You know, I think you don't have to join my sorority, but you, you should because there's so many um, valuable experiences to be had. And then she fell in love with AOPI all by herself. And I've secretly behind the scenes going, yes, you know. Yes. <laughs> uh, so I was very thrilled um, that she that we could share this. And uh, when she initiated, it, it meant a lot. I don't know that she carries a mantle so much because this generation is probably more used to uh, having diversity within the membership, and especially as a newer chapter, um, you know, several mem- women of color were part of that charter. Uh, so I sometimes, you know, we we talk about these things, and she's, you know, she questions like, why is that even an issue, you know? And so to that extent, you know, I said, well. You know, I'm glad that um, you see it that way and your peers see it that way. Um, and so I told her, you know, this is very much a generational conversation as much as it is about race and, you know, equity and inclusion and, and diversity because your generation have been afforded um, different experiences than maybe generations before yours. And so, you know, her goal is to be the very best that she can be. And she's, she's done really well. She's had some pretty significant challenges, um, but she's managed to be on the dates list and, and uh, being recognized in different uh, areas on campus. So I'm really, I'm really proud of her and I'm really proud to say that she's an AOPI. Shout out to our girl. Yes. Yeah, she's done really well. 
So you mentioned that you are a teacher and a leader in all things. You have a background in education, leadership development, in higher education. Take us a little bit, one of my favorite podcasts, they always say, skim your resume. Um, Take us a little bit through what brought you to where you are now in your professional career. Um, You know, a lot of it is actually um, right place at the right time. Honestly, I... uh, I was one of two uh, seniors at the University of Illinois in the advertising program that was uh, offered a job at Leo Burnett Advertising in Chicago. So it was a media buyer planner, account executive. Um, I really um, felt like the account executive piece wasn't quite the right fit for me. And so I started doing some freelance uh, writing and I wrote a couple commercials for McDonald's and you know some other big brands, and um, that got me a ticket to a Bulls game one day, and uh, wait, wait, wait. I don't even as know in, who introduced me, but... Wait, as in the basketball said, game? Yeah, the Chicago the Bulls? basketball game, okay. I was talking to somebody, and they said, you know, the Bulls are hiring, and they had just won their first national championship, and they said they're hiring, they're, media, they're expanding their media relations department, you should you should interview and uh, I did and was offered the position. I almost didn't take it and I almost didn't uh, tell anybody because the salary was horrible. You know, and I'm thinking there is no way I can pay my rent and, you know, and pay food, you know, on this job. And, you know, the joke was it's a great place to work if your parents can afford to send you there because when you're paying Michael Jordan, there really wasn't a lot for the rest of us. And I just happened to mention to my dad and he said, take the job. I will pay your rent for a year. Oh, go dad. Yeah. yeah, Well, you know, it came with two free tickets to every home game and he got to park his car, you know, with the, uh, with the players and coaches and he got to have dinner with the coaches and he'd stroll in with his sunglasses on and I was mortified. Like, yeah, (laughs) you have to be cool, you know. That's amazing. Um, So, um, so yeah, so, you know, that afforded me a wonderful opportunity. I worked very closely with the players. I set up their interviews for them, coached them on their communication. And uh, Michael Jordan in particular was uh, very supportive of me and he wrote a letter of recommendation for me. Um, he did, we did have a, many conversations privately and um, he said, well, why are you leaving? And I said, well, you know, I signed on for a year because, you know, when they're paying you, there's not enough to pay me. So, <laughs> did um, you really? And so he said, well, let me write a letter for you. And um, so he did. And uh, I got a job uh, offer from another uh, player that for the Phoenix Suns had flown me down for an interview. And I was pretty clear I did not want to work for that individual. But I loved Arizona. It was cold in Chicago. <laughs> and so I just packed up my car on a wing and a prayer and came down to Arizona and and was, you know, had some amazing opportunities. I worked for the city of Tempe. I worked for Channel 12 where I was a marketing director. Uh, so being able to sit in the news meetings every day and help uh, frame how we tell our stories and from there I got my master's degree um, and uh, the Super Bowl host committee 
um, were planning their first Super Bowl in Arizona, and I was asked to interview, and I was uh, awarded one of the positions of deputy director of the first Super Bowl here. And then, you know, networking, I met some people, and from there I went over to the mayor's office, and I helped with uh, public relations and community relations event planning. And I worked really closely with the police department when we talked about community policing and how to build relationships. And so we produced a TV show uh, that helped uh, the police officers and the residents actually get to know each other as community co-community members versus adversaries. And so those kinds of um, tactics and procedures were really effective, um, you know, developing those relationships. And I, you know, I don't even know. So I, I left there. Uh, I decided to come home. I had two kids. Uh, my son was diagnosed a little bit on the autism spectrum. And, uh, you know, I'd come home and, you know, their dad was like, <laughs> he was crying, two kids were crying, and I didn't know who to hug first. <laughs> so I said, well, maybe it's time for me to come home for a while. So I just put my shingle out and opened my own PR marketing consulting business and worked from home got the call hey would you like to come teach a class and I'm like huh you know and uh, that led to full-time teaching and eventually went back to school to get my doctorate degree in education Um, and so a lot of it was unplanned my career just happened to to go that way Um, but I had my aha moment when I was teaching and that was when you know, I don't know why it was such a surprise to me because my mom's a teacher and all my best friends are teachers. And so, <laughs> you know, my mom's like, yeah, when you were a little girl, you used to play teacher. You know, everyone else played dolls. You had your dolls and a chalkboard and you were, so it was like, oh, so I had this aha moment. Um, I really love my job. I love every morning being able to um, be a voice or to influence um, these young people especially when they get to college and it's sort of their first, you know, experience away from mom and dad. And, um, you know, sometimes I'm reinforcing what mom and dad said. I'm like, well, my mom always said that too. And I'm like, well, maybe, you know, mom, mom can be pretty <laughs> smart sometimes, you know. Uh, so it, it's just been really wonderful. And I was asked to lead um, the Office of Inclusiveness for my college and uh, was given an award for that. And, you know, it's just been really wonderful. We planned the first uh, Martin Luther King Jr. celebration in Arizona for the city of Tempe. And I was able to get Martin Luther King III um, wow. to, speak, to speak. And he, yeah, he also wrote a letter of recommendation for me. So along the way, you know, I've just had these amazing opportunities, which is my privilege, you know, that I was able to have those opportunities and um, and have some really wonderful people along the way to ensure that I have success in my career and uh, and even with my children. Um, and I always feel, you know, I feel it's important to give back that way. So I have to ask you, and we, we talked for just a couple of minutes before we were recording, and I, I try to be very aware that at some point, all people have to take responsibility for educating themselves and take the initiative to reach out and ask questions and listen and then to to read and research and so often i find that 
the women of color in my life are exhausted because because they are in at every corner at every turn they are having to educate and re-educate and reinforce and and while it is a wonderful opportunity it is sometimes very exhausting because at some point you can only do what, what you can in a day right in addition to raising your children and getting to work and doing all of the life things um Tell me, and, and I recognize that this conversation is in part still asking you to do that. So it, it comes with my apologies, but also with my, my request that you have had these amazing experiences. And at each point, you have had the opportunity to set examples and to, to build on or, or to even create opportunities for people to learn and to do better, quite frankly, than what we have done in the past. Tell me what it is, and and just to give people an idea, this will air in the month of July. So we are recording what is the week that George Floyd has been laid to rest. And of course, this is on the heels of the passing of Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery. And for those of us in my generation, this goes back name after name after name to Rodney King, even when I was in high school in the early 90s. This is not new, and yet I find that we are still having to educate and re-educate. And when I say we, it is not me. It is all of my friends of color, men, women, um, all across academia and and all walks of life to have this conversation and yet now I feel like we might have an opportunity to affect more change than we could have in the past and what I would ask from you is what would you have our sisters know what would you want them to know about where we are how they can support our sisters and, and, and friends and all people, I, I keep saying women and sisters of color, I do recognize it as all individuals, but for the purpose of our podcast here, connecting with AOPIs, what would you want them to know? Wow, well, Seth, thank you for that question. Um, you know, I, I certainly don't speak for every woman of color, um, I, and I acknowledge my own privilege in having a dad who could afford to pay my rent for a year. And, <laughs> and offered to do that so that I could have the experience that I've had. I think that um, we've been fed a diet historically and a narrative historically that one, um, you know, everything is supposed to be fair. And uh, with the Civil Rights Act passing in 1964, I think that what came along with that was, oh, we have this law now, so everybody, everything's fair and equal. However, we haven't always had the access to all the stories. Um, some of the names that you've mentioned um, certainly um, were not featured in the news. And so when, now we have this access to social media and cameras on our cell phones, so people are able to see for themselves that, you know, may or may not have heard this or wasn't really taught in school too much. Um, and so I take all of that into consideration 
that, but now we have an opportunity to truly learn and see. And you can see for your own eyes, you know, the tragedy of George Floyd. And I don't even think you have to be a woman of color to have your heart break when he cried out for his mother. Mm-hmm. I know that that uh, I cried for two days, you know, just, you know, just hearing that. And so I feel as if for me personally, um, education is in me. Um, that is how I've always been taught to, to, to deal with um, these sort of issues. But I guess I would like everyone to know that, um, you know, there are a lot of women. Uh, I went to Alpha Kappa Alpha's centennial celebration with my mom and sister, and uh, they didn't know I was I wasn't AKA. So they were all like, you know, <laughs> waving their pinkies at me, and I waved back like, hello, you know. Um, but we had great conversations, and and they were equally interested that you joined AOPI, and I said I did, and so I, you know, I sort of like, well, why did you do that, you know? And I told them. Uh, why and they were more impressed that I could do that and I had to you know really talk to my dad about that too he struggled with it a little bit I said but dad it's because of everything you've done your generation has done before us that I can be an AOPI and so he was okay with that and then um, and then later you know it was more he was like well what are you doing to help change Um, the environment what are you doing to educate and so I feel that there are for women of color who prefer to educate I'm a teacher you know I am um, for me it goes against my uh, education and (laughs) educational background to say well go educate yourself and go figure it out (laughs) Um, so I I do understand that sentiment because it it can be exhausting Um, but I'm also very encouraged, you know, that we have this uh, unified chorus of voices saying, I want to learn now. And to me, it's never too late to learn. And I'm always, you know, open for questions. I've had lots of uh, people reach out to me to ask questions. And and the opportunity to contribute uh, we're putting together a repository of resources uh, for the fraternity that everyone can learn and here's where you can find information and that you know i just encourage everyone to be okay being asked and be okay asking because if we don't have these conversations it turns into lip service and then we're right back where you know we started so I'm perfectly fine with it personally. Uh, I enjoy it. Um, I'm happy to see this conversation. I'm happy to see the the AOPI is leading. And uh, one of uh, my friends who is uh, in another group said, wow, I'm I'm hearing all over social media that AOPI is really stepping up. And I said, well, of course, you know. don't be surprised by that of course they are you know so it's a badge of pride for me to see um our fraternity um stepping up and leading in this way and um you know i think as exhausting as the conversations can be it's also a time for forgiveness and healing and um and you know we all get to put all hands on deck here to make this happen so, and I think, you know, and some of it is, you know, 
when we address the systemic stuff, and I know the, the board is working in a plan, an action plan to sort of roll out all of these items that uh, have been raised, uh, how, how we can change the culture. And I think there's a, an opportunity for, when we widen the circle of inclusiveness, you know, some of it comes to transparency. Some of it is you know, always sort of looking at, well, why do we do things this way? Or mm -hmm. why have we done this things this way? And so those are always great starting points. You know, um, what ways are we um, unknowingly um, um, avoiding the conversation of inclusiveness? And, you know, I can, you know, sometimes it's access. So if there aren't a lot of women of color going through recruitment, um, through NPC recruitment, um, you know, that, that's one factor, but why? And what are we doing to reach out to, you know, we welcome you, not just we're here if you decide to go through Rush, but proactively, you know, reaching out to audiences and letting them know that you are welcome here. And that goes a very, I think, goes a long way. And there's just, you know, lots of other examples, I'm sure, of the work group sort of, you know, observes all of this and rolls out an action plan. Um, you know, we'll certainly have more information but it's a great start, and I think it's, you know, it's always been a great day to be at AOPI, and it certainly is today. So you mentioned a, a couple of things that I want to touch on, and one of them is your privilege. <clears throat> because I have to tell you that I think a lot of the time, if white people, as a, as a matter of practice, did not come up with what we traditionally think of as privilege, um, financial privilege, then I think that it is hard to make that connection that privilege isn't necessarily dollars and cents. And when we talk about what it means to have white privilege, and so many people will say, oh, but I didn't grow up wealthy, or I didn't have this or that. But on the flip side, I think there is also an underlying assumption that if there is a woman of color who does choose to go through the recruitment process or join one of our groups, that because she does have access to the financial means, that that means there is none of the other challenge. Correct. And, and I would be curious how you would, would share that or expand on that. Well, um, you mean once they join? Well, just how we can be how we can be aware and sensitive to that, to understanding that that white privilege is not financially based, and how do right. we build that into the conversation so that we are inviting women of sure. color into it and not just allowing you to come on if you decide you want to, because there right. is a difference in that being open to it. And being encouraging and inviting is very different, right? Correct. Um, so the, the point about privilege, I think that a lot of people misunderstand that privilege isn't that you were handed everything on a silver platter or you didn't have to work as hard as um, anyone else. It means that um, certain people can go to the grocery store and not be accused of stealing something. 
Um, or, you know, I've, I've had experiences where I was, you know, exercising and running in my neighborhood and I was stopped by a police officer asking me, you know, what was I doing and where's your ID? And I said, well, I'm running. Um, I, so I didn't bring my ID with me. Um, but those kinds of crash moments, if you've ever seen the film Crash, it's like, you know, sometimes they just come out of the blue. And they can come in the form of microaggressions, um, which I think, you know, we're gathering some resources on what microaggressions are. But I would say for women who are going through recruitment, I think the acknowledgement, I mean, you, we can show more than we can say. You know, when they go through recruitment and they see the diversity in the house, whether it be race or, you know, um, gender identity, um, they know that there's already people here that to welcome. And sometimes it's hard to be the first. Um, and sometimes it's, you know, really uh, up to us to, I don't think we have to go over the top and say, we like people of color. You know, we don't have to hold our signs, but it's certainly, you know, just welcome them and, and, and you know, show who we are, our values, and our ritual. I think when we live our ritual every day, inherent. And it's also important to recognize that women of color may have different experiences or lenses coming into it. Um, very often, um, I know when I, when I went to University of Illinois, um, most people came from very segregated neighborhoods, you know? And so coming to the cornfields of Illinois was definitely a new experience for them and so they were already feeling uh, like a fish out of water and so there are resources um, most colleges have diversity inclusion offices um, for those resources that um, we can certainly tap into but you know when you see a person of color um, who might be a potential new member you know just say hey you know I really enjoyed speaking to you um, have you thought about going through recruitment and even just the invitation um, alone, um, I think, uh, goes a long way. I think that's amazing because you are not wrong. When we take that initiative, it could broaden so many opportunities for women who may not have even thought about it before. Or if they thought about it, maybe didn't necessarily feel welcomed to the process. And I love that it really is something as simple as actually making the statement, which is something all of our women should be doing all of the time, right? For all, I always believe that you are always wearing your letters, where you're, whether you're actually displaying them or not. And I always, you spoke of our ritual, I very often say to our members, if someone doesn't know you're an AOPI, and then we asked them and we described what our ritual would expect, would they say that fits perfectly with who you are and what they know? Because you are always an AOPI, whether you're wearing your letters or not. So let me ask you this. What is the one piece of advice that you would give to our collegiate women as we begin to navigate these conversations? Because, because let's be honest, some of them will be uncomfortable. And I personally find that if they're not, then we're probably not doing them quite right. 
You know, it's supposed to be a little bit uncomfortable. That's how we learn. Years ago, um, one of our staff members gave a, a recommendation, uh, I mean, a, a reference to a book, and and you will have to forgive me that I don't don't recall the author, but it was basically that 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 if you draw a circle and stand in it, this is your comfort zone, and this is where we live and breathe and work. And if you step outside of that circle as far as you can reach, where you are uncomfortable, that's where the magic happens. And whoever wrote that was brilliant and said it much better than I, but it doesn't change the fact that you have to step out of that comfort zone to make really great things happen. So what would be the one piece of advice you would share with our members as we continue to have these conversations and build this work group and share resources and, and build this into the fabric of who we are as women of AOPI? Yeah, you know, the first thing I'd like to say is, um, you know, as a college professor, I think everything has changed when, when, when students are making that transition to college. And so it is perfectly okay to be uncomfortable. It was, you know, it's uncomfortable for everyone going through recruitment, I think, or being <laughs> on the other side of recruitment yes. is, is a lot. Um, yes. And so it's okay to be uncomfortable. And we're uncomfortable until we're not. And the way that we get comfortable is to learn and we educate and we discuss and we, we have an action plan and we follow through with our actions and we demonstrate with our words and our actions who we are. So I would say for, um, for those who, I, I've, I've had some people reach out to me like, well, what do I, you know, what do I say if, if a woman of color comes to recruitment? And it's like, well, what would you say if someone who is not a woman of color going to recruitment? Hello, welcome. So there's, <laughs> yeah, so there are some things that are very universal. You know, I really like this person. You know, what do we, re what do we have in common? What are our shared values? And um, and and not assume that they necessarily um, have an issue with it, or and not assume that they're comfortable with it. And I think we can read a lot in body language when people go through recruitment. Um, I can always tell if someone is, you know, if they're feeling uncomfortable. And. I just think, you know, when we have these conversations and you see a woman of color and sometimes we go on automatic pilot, there's a lot about our culture where we have been fed this diet of what beauty looks like. Uh, we've been fed a diet of what, you know, acceptable behavior is and um, especially with women, you know, you know, you know, re you know, nice young ladies always cross their legs at the ankle, you know, so we've, we've <laughs> absorbed, you know, a lot of indoctrination of women um, throughout our lifetime, you know, and so now we see women who are doing extraordinary things outside their comfort zone. I'm sure the first woman astronaut was not very comfortable. Um, and so I think being uncomfortable is really a springboard for greatness. And that's how we grow when we just keep having these conversations and we come back and we have them again. And if we can get past the standard of beauty and look at who they are as a person um, and how are they carrying themselves. And also it's important not to read too much into some things. So, you know, in some cultures, for example, not making eye contact is a sign of respect. 
And so when I do city trainings that I lead, you know, don't read too much into that if someone doesn't make eye contact. Um, so we have to really sort of pay attention to our unconscious biases. And once we do that, I think it just flows because at the end of the day, when we go into survival mode, we all want to be accepted. We want to love, we want friendship, we want lasting matters. And that is, that is universal. Um, and then, you know, I'm just happy to chat with anybody who has questions, um, if you are uncomfortable, um, because I want to help you be comfortable with that. And so I, you know, I just raise my hand personally for questions and feedback and, you know, suggestions. It's certainly going to be a case by case basis with every woman that goes through recruitment. And, um, I'm just really proud of our of, of our fraternity, and I think it's I think we're going to see great things. I actually think um, the the statement that we made about our our oath and pledge to diversity is going to be a strong uh, draw for uh, women going through recruitment. You know, we've 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 seen these protests. We're seeing the voices of non-white people. I'm sorry, non-black people. Um, you know, standing up and saying um, that you know, all people that uh, Black Lives Matter and that all of us together are going to, sh you know, share this voice. And so I think there's going to be a lot more women looking for a house with diversity because of the learning um, that we've had. So I'm excited. I am too. Barbara, thank you so much. You're so welcome. It's good to see you. It is good to see you. I'm, I'm sorry sometimes that these things are not on video because so much is missed sometimes with nodding of heads and smiles and, and sometimes yes. the laughter comes through. But I want you to know how much I appreciate you having this conversation with me so that we can then share it with our sisters and friends and anyone who wants to listen. And for everyone who is out there listening, as always, Thank you for doing so, and until next time, stay safe and, and be well. Time. Thank you, Crystal. Thank you. Mm -hmm.